All right, knock, knock. Cash. I knew y'all were a bunch of nuts. Oh, okay. Not a big knock, knock joke fan. Okay. Today's lectionary reading is a story about cash, about money, about wealth. That was a really cheesy transition, wasn't it? Last year, the top 43 wealthiest people in the world owned the same amount of wealth combined as the bottom 4 billion people in the world. And this year, that number jumped to the 26th wealthiest people. So the rich people got even richer. The 26th wealthiest people in the world own the same amount of money as the 4 billion poorest people combined. And there are 7.7 billion people in the world. There's just some wealthy 26 people. Two weeks ago, the world's most expensive toilet was stolen dollars. You know, wealth, wealth is just it's one, one really expensive bathroom trip, isn't it? Wealth is totally made up. We've all just decided that money, that dollar bills, that gold is going to have this value and that we'll be able to trade it and get stuff from it. By itself, it has no value. We've just agreed as a people that it has value and worth. It was, this was made as a piece of art by an Italian artist, Maurizio Catalan, and he titled it America. I don't know what that says about us. What is that supposed to mean? We are known for our wealth, I suppose. Jeff Bezos of Amazon, just down the street, is the wealthiest man in history, valued at $137 billion. That's making about $6.5 billion a month, or $149,000 a minute. That just blows my mind. Isn't that crazy? Russell Wilson, the Seahawks, now the highest paid player in the NFL. $140 million, four-year extension. Highest salary in the NFL, $35 million a season. $65 million signing bonus. Guaranteed $107 million. If he hurts his ankle and sits out the whole season, He's guaranteed 107. If, if he's let go, he's guaranteed 107. Can you imagine starting a new job and being told, if you sign this right here, we'll give you your $100 million. You don't even have to show up to work. Just by signing it, you'll get that money. That is a lot of money. And there's definitely this feeling in our world and society that the wealth says something about a person. We look at somebody who dresses a certain way or drives a certain car. We look at that person who drives the 1980 Toyota Corolla that's beaten down and missing uh, hubcaps a little bit different than someone who's driving a Tesla because we have all of these built-in assumptions and associations with people and their wealth. The challenge that this whole wealth thing has is that We've agreed that things have certain worth and value. Where it gets messy is when we start to assign the worth and value of the wealth and the stuff and the money with the person who has it. So the, well, the person's value is determined by what they have. That's where things get messy. There's so much wealth in America. There's so much in the world. Yet in America, one in six children 
may not know where their next meal is coming from. Here in King County, we have about 67,000 kids who are hungry. In King County, such a wealthy area. At the same time, one-third of the food that we buy is wasted. Kylie and I cleaned out our fridge last night of leftovers that we didn't eat. We threw it away. Makes me kind of sick. The reality is if we have all of this wealth, we could use it to meet some of these needs and fix some of these problems. So what do we do? It's a complicated problem because the answer isn't money's bad. That's not true. What does Jesus say about it? In the ancient world, there was a huge disparity between wealth and poor. So there would be a small, tiny population of people who had a ton of money, and then like 90% of the people were the working class, working poor. And in Luke's gospel, of the story of Jesus, it talks a lot about money because in Jesus' day, a lot of the wealthy people were the people in charge of the church. They were the religious people. And if you were wealthy... It was seen in society as uh, a blessings by God. God had blessed you if you were wealthy. And if you were not wealthy, if you were poor, it's because God has not blessed you. It's because you are living in some kind of sin or your parents are living in some kind of sin. And so in the ancient world, wealth was associated with not only social status in society, but also religious status where you were seen on the scale of close to God or far from God. And so in this passage in Luke, Jesus had just told the religious leaders called the Pharisees that they are wealthy and that they can't serve two masters. They can't serve and love both God and money. And that really ticked off the religious people. So the Pharisees, who were money lovers, heard all of this and sneered at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves before other people, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued by people is deeply offensive to God. This is a theme all throughout Jesus' ministry. He says what's important to you, what's important to society, to culture, that's worthless to God. He flips values upside down all throughout his ministry, and he does this with money also. And right after he said this, Jesus told a story. He said there was a rich man who wore these designer clothes that royalty and celebrities wear. And he ate these luxurious gourmet meals every day. And he lived in this big house in a gated community, and there was a border gate that separated his house from the rest of the neighborhood. And outside of his house, outside of the border gate, was a poor man named Lazarus. And Lazarus was just desperate to eat the crumbs off the table of this rich man. He was hungry. And his body was covered in sores. And every day he lay beside the border gate, hoping the rich man would just give him some scraps to eat. And every day, to and from work, the rich man would just step over the man, Lazarus, and keep walking. So Lazarus dies. Jesus says he was taken up to heaven to sit at the side of Abraham. And that Greek word for side literally means bosom. He's like snuggled up in Abraham's bosom. And for us as Christians, that would be like saying 
God took you up into heaven and you are just in the arms of Christ. It is the highest place of honor in heaven. God takes this poor man, Lazarus, up to the highest place of honor, and it says the rich man died. He was buried, and he goes below. Luke says, Abraham, oh, I don't want to read that yet. So it says that they go to this place called Hades, which is like the Greek place of the dead, from the place where Abraham and God is. So it's like traditional modern way of saying um, you have heaven and hell. And in the story, Jesus says they could talk to each other. The rich man sees Lazarus in the, the bosom of Abraham. He says, Lazarus, I'm so thirsty. Can you please bring me some water? And Abraham says, no. This chasm here, you can't cross it. He said, you had your chance when you were alive. How you treated people when you were alive determine where you are now. And even after he died, the rich man saw Lazarus as less than him. He still wanted Lazarus to fetch him water like a servant. And so the rich man says, at least send Lazarus back to earth and tell all of my brothers about this so that they can change how they live their lives, change how they treat people, and they know that it really matters how we treat people. And Abraham says, if they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, their Bibles, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Have you all ever seen this picture? You have heaven on one side, you have hell on the other, and I was taught growing up that there's a chasm between the two, and that's idea, that picture comes from this story in Luke, and that the only way to cross the chasm is the cross. Jesus, the cross of Christ, is what allows you to cross. And so I was always taught that this story was about accepting Jesus into your heart, and the reason the rich man went to hell is because he didn't accept Jesus in his heart, and the reason Lazarus the poor man went to heaven is because he did accept Jesus into his heart and that the only reason money is even in a story is because Jesus was saying you can't buy your way into heaven. I read this as an adult. I realized it doesn't say anything about accepting Jesus into your heart. It's blatantly clear in the story that Jesus is saying if you devalue others, if you don't treat others with kindness, with love, meet their needs. There are consequences for that. It doesn't say anything about accepting Jesus into your heart. It's about how you treat those who don't have as much as you. It's about how the have-a-lots treat the have-nots. So in Luke, Jesus is essentially saying to these wealthy religious people, You all should know better. It says right here in your Bibles, in the prophets, in Deuteronomy, it says that you should take care of the poor and needy. Isaiah, it says that you need to feed the hungry. You need to clothe those who need clothes. You need to take care of the sick. It's in there. It's in your 
the stuff that you claim to, to follow, and you're completely missing the point of life, of religion, of God. This story isn't about money. It's not about wealth. It's about power. And in Jesus' day, the people who had power tended to be wealthy. It's about power, and it's about status, and it's about control and hierarchy of who's in charge. It's about a feeling that because of my wealth, I am somehow more important or have more value than other people who don't have wealth. It's not about the wealth itself. It's about the feeling of having power over someone else. And I think it's true in our day that a lot of times people with wealth tend to feel powerful, tend to look down on those who don't. I totally thought of Anchorman when I was studying. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Very important. I have many leather-bound books. My apartment smells of rich mahogany. Let me list off all of the really amazing things I have so you can think higher of me. We associate wealth with importance and power. There's a neuroscientist by the name of Sukhvinder Obi, and he is a, a neuroscientist at McMaster's University in Ontario, and he studies brains. And he put the heads of, of people who felt powerful and not so powerful under uh, a machine called the transcranial magnetic simulation machine, which is like a brain reader thingy. <laughs> and what he did was he, he made people look or think back on a time in their life where they felt incredibly important and powerful. And then he studied their brains, and then he had another group think on a time in their life when they felt no power, felt worthless, put their brains under the machine. And he found that the feeling of power impairs this neural process that leads to empathy. He says it kind of shuts down your mirror neurons, which allows you to look at the perspective of other people. It allows you to have compassion and empathize with other people. He said that the people who felt powerful lost their ability to have compassion and empathy. The ability to put themselves in others' shoes. He said, power almost causes brain damage. It messes with how we see other people. So in Jesus' day, those with a lot of wealth tended to feel like they had a lot of power. Another scientist at the Kellogg School of Management, Adam Glinsky, did a study where same kind of thing, participants were kind of primed with power think on a time they were very powerful, and other participants where they didn't feel power. And then they were shown a set of 24 images of emotions, happiness, sadness, fear, anger. And these two groups were asked to identify which faces portrayed which emotions. Those who felt powerful were less likely to accurately identify which emotions were presented. Feelings of power and of value and of worth over other people made people lose their ability to empathize, to see what other people are feeling. 
Henry Adams was an American historian from the 1800s. He was born into the most prominent family in all of America. And you know the last name Adams. He was descendant of John Quincy Adams. You've seen that biopic on is it HBO, Adams, John Adams. Um, incredibly powerful. Henry Adams, at a young age, became Abraham Lincoln's ambassador to England. And he studied the powerful uh, and famous. And he said this, the effect of power and publicity on all men is the aggravation of self. It's a sort of tumor that ends by killing the victim's sympathies. He said, power is like a tumor that kills our ability to sympathize with other people. And science suggests that is absolutely true. Sometimes we need someone to bring us back down to earth off of our pedestal of importance. And for Winston Churchill, that person was his sweet wife, Clementine. And she wrote a letter to Winston Churchill on the day that Hitler enter entered Paris in 1940. Very stressful time for the world, for Winston Churchill. And this is what Clemmy said. June 27, 1940, in a letter. My darling, I hope you'll forgive me if I tell you something that I feel you ought to know. One of the men in your entourage, a devoted friend, has been to me and told me that there is a danger of your being generally disliked by your colleagues and subordinates because of your rough, sarcastic, and overbearing manner. The friend told her that the prime minister had been so unkind and disrespectful toward his subordinates that he refused to listen to any ideas, good or bad, uh, when they were meeting with people. She went on to say, My darling Winston, I must confess that I have noticed a deterioration in your manner, and you are not so kind as you used to be. She told him with this power that he has, you must be able to combine kindness and calmness with your responsibility, with your power. She said, you won't get the best results by being easily angered and rude. Brought him off his pedestal. She was hesitant to tell him. She actually ripped up the letter and threw it away, and then she taped it back together. And she put, P.S., I tore this up, but I decided to send it anyway. Sometimes we need people in our lives to say, you're not as important as you think you are. You don't have as much power as you think you do. Jesus said that if you want power in life, then you will serve other people. You will put yourself in a position that is below others because that is what true power in this universe looks like. It looks like humility. It looks like service and kindness. And it is possible to be in a place of power in this world of status of title, of wealth, and still put others above yourself until still serve and still look at the interests of others. It is possible, Jesus said, that you could have the most wealth beyond the 26, those people who have most all the wealth in the world. But in the grand scheme of things, the realm of God, the realm of what's important in life, it means nothing. On the other hand, you can be the poorest person in society. You can have nothing. 
You can have no shelter above your head. You can have no clothes. You can be starving. And you can have more power than anyone else. Because that power comes from how you see others and how you treat others. Do the people around me have more value or less value than me? We've been so trained in our world to determine someone's value by how they look and what they, what they have. And they're so, so counter to what Jesus taught. And it's so ironic to me that the religious people in Jesus' day were the ones that got this wrong. So often it's Christ followers today who are still getting this wrong. Why don't we, as followers of Jesus, follow Jesus <laughs> when he talks about this stuff? Y'all heard of that Instagram account, Preachers and Sneakers? It's this Instagram feed of all of the, these um, very successful pastors mega church pastors who are wearing designer clothes so it'll show a picture of their shoes and where they got it online he's wearing these shoes that are three thousand dollars while he's giving this sermon to people talking about how important it is to, to be generous and give and care for others and be humble caused a lot of controversy in the Christian world because it kind of called out us religious pastors who think so highly of ourselves and are, put ourselves in such a place of power and importance, which is so counter to what Jesus taught. If you see me expressing that kind of authority, power, call me out on it. Be my Clementine. <laughs> Say, uh, it's not where your power lies. It's not in stuff. It's not in wealth. Have you ever felt like a boss or a teacher or a parent, someone in authority, refused to understand your perspective or listen to your ideas? Maybe because if they feel like they're in a place of power, they're literally, in their brain, unable to hear other ideas and see other perspectives. The story from Jesus tells us that when we build up these walls that separate the have-a-lots from the have-nots, those consequences are serious. Uh, when I was in high school, our youth group went to uh, a homeless shelter and gave out blanket, blankets and hot chocolate in the winter. And we went, we were told that we need to evangelize. We need to tell them about Jesus and pray for them. Because uh, they were lost. We went to uh, Commercial Street, which was where the homeless shelter was. They were all outside, and we handed out blankets and hot chocolate. And I talked to some of them, and one lady said that, you know, I, I go into those things when I was a kid thinking people are going to hell and it's my job to tell them about Jesus. That's the most important thing. And I did have this mentality that 
because they are homeless and they are poor and they are probably drug addicts and alcoholics or whatever, um, it's probably because of some sin in their life. That's how I grew up thinking. So I need to help point them to Jesus. So I went there with passed out blankets and one lady in her uh, 50s said, I'm from St. Louis, just a few hours away, but a couple years ago, my husband was diagnosed with cancer, and he died, and we couldn't pay the medical bills, and we lost our house, and I, uh, I didn't know what else to do. I got on a bus, and I came here, um, so I'm here at the homeless shelter, um, and she said, I, I talked to my, um, my, my family about once a month on the phone. They have no idea that I'm homeless. I, I'm ashamed to tell them I'm homeless. They have no idea. My whole world just turned upside down. You mean it's not some sin in your life <laughs> that led you to be homeless and poor? No, it was a tragedy in her life that she had no control over. Just a couple years ago, she and her husband were a middle-class family living in a big city, and now she's homeless. A person's worth and value and importance has absolutely nothing to do with how they look or what they have. And Jesus was trying to get it into the religious people's heads. Start seeing all people as having worth and value, importance. We all have power, and that power has nothing to do with what we have. It has to do with um, the Spirit of God in us and what that power looks like in our world, in our daily lives, serving others, this kindness to others, this showing other people their value and their worth. And there's a, a phrase that some say it was said by Winston Churchill, others say it was Teddy Roosevelt, others say it was Franklin Roosevelt, others say it was the philosopher Voltaire, but I, I know it from Spider-Man's uncle. <laughs> With great power comes great responsibility. Cheesy line, but it's true. Power does not look like what the world says it is. It does not look like what the wealthy and politicians say it looks like. It does not look like authority and wealth. Power looks like humility and love, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is true power. And if we all showed that power with whatever resources we have, we wouldn't have to worry about 70,000 kids here being hungry. We wouldn't have to worry about that. It doesn't matter if you have a lot of wealth or a little wealth. So let's start seeing people for their true worth and value apart from the stuff that they have. In John's Gospel during the Last Supper, Jesus bent down to wash the disciples' feet, and it was an act that was reserved for um, 
servants. And they saw Jesus as being the Messiah, this most important person in history. They said, stop, why are you bending down to wash our feet? Because he was showing them this is what true power looks like. And that same night, he had a meal with his friends around the table and he gave thanks and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. True power looks like me giving my life for you. And he took the wine and he poured it out. This is my blood. It was poured out for you. His love poured out for you. And every single time we do what Jesus said, where you love your neighbor as yourself, where you see somebody who maybe the rest of society would look down on, or uh, pass over on the street, or avoid eye contact with, when you see someone like that and you look them in the eye, you show them kindness, you say, hi, how are you doing today? <laughs> that is a holy, spiritual, powerful act that will literally change our society, that will literally turn things upside down. And Jesus was so adamant about teaching these principles to his followers and to the religious people because he said that this is how the kingdom of God is going to come on earth. This is how we'll have heaven on earth is if we start living our lives like this every day. So he said, when you take this bread, eat it, do it in remembrance of me, the things that I've taught you. And, and when he said, drink the wine, you said, do it in remembrance of me and the things that I taught you. And so we do this every service as a way to remember Christ and what he taught us. For these last moments before we leave, uh, let's just find some, a comfortable place in our chairs. And uh, for these moments, just let your body do what it knows how to do and breathe without trying to change it. For this moment, to be present, to be still. Close your eyes or keep them open. Whatever helps you, just be in the moment. Whatever thoughts come up, just notice them and let them kind of pass by. Don't have to judge them or analyze them, thinking about how the Seahawks are going to do at 1 o'clock, where we're going to eat, busy week ahead. Just let those thoughts pass. us in the midst of the chaos because the presence of Christ she is in us Holy Spirit 
so God, may we put on the glasses that Christ put on so that we see everyone the way you see them. Give us the strength and the confidence, power to look at every person beyond their appearance, their actions, and see the image of God in them. Whenever we see a hurt, may we bring some wholeness and some peace and some love. We thank you for bringing wholeness, peace, and love to our lives. In Christ's name, amen. Peace be with you. We'll see you next week.